Amen. All right. Well, hey, as I asked the first service, how many guys? I know this is going to be a big stretch, but how many guys here at Sunrise Bible Church have ever heard of, watch this, the mark of the beast? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Praise God. Uh, actually, a better showing of hands in the first service. I was concerned. Uh, well, hello. Yeah, that's kind of tongue in cheek because uh, if you're here at this church, you're going to hear about the mark of the beast. Why? Because it's in the Bible and we teach all the Bible. We're not Sunrise Happy uh, Place. It's Sunrise Bible Church. Right, we teach all the Bible, including the missing, apparently one third of the Bible, called Bible prophecy. So, so th- that's that's a given that we've heard of it. But here's my point: I don't know about you, but I am so content to know that there is zero signs of any kind of mark of the beast technology ever appearing on the planet anytime soon. So we got plenty of time to goof off and relax, and yeah, whatever. It is ramping up on a massive scale from a multitude of angles, including this one. I don't know if you guys remember our modern technology study that we did for 16 weeks. Remember that? Praise God, I, pastors can dream that people actually, praise God, one person back there, actually, or two, praise God. Give me three, give me four, give me five, I ain't got time, we gotta get on. Uh, but, but remember we dealt with that in great detail, but we, we dealt with what? That how Amazon's latest trend is a completely cashless transaction. It's their Amazon Go stores, remember that? And where all you gotta do is there's no humans involved, you literally go into one of their Amazon stores and you walk in with your phone, you scan your phone in your hand, right? And then you pay for your stuff in your cart and you just literally walk right out. No checkout lines, no nothing. Remember that? That's been out for a couple of years. Well, I kid you not, folks, watch this latest commercial from Amazon promoting the next stage. Again, they're preparing us for the ultimate thing. And can you believe it? They skipping now the phone in the hand and guess what they're directly going into for a form of payment? Your hand. Watch this commercial from Amazon. This is wild. This is Zoe. Just like you, she uses lots of different cards and IDs to get through her day. What if all Zoe needed was herself? Introducing Amazon One, a free service that lets you use your palm to quickly pay for things, gain access, earn rewards, and more. Let's say you're grabbing your favorite coffee beverage, or heading into the office, or checking out. Just hover your palm and you're on your way. It's as easy as that. Sign up is free and takes less than a minute. All you need is a credit card, your phone number, and your palm. That's it. Since your palm is unique and can't be lost or misplaced, you can get things done quickly and securely. And with more experiences on the way, Amazon One will help you get even more done, simply by being you. Now, Zoe has more time to do what she loves, indoor skydiving. Enter, identify, and pay with Amazon One. Or should we call Mark of the Beast one? Notice the step-by-step process, right? Uh, You know, there's only one problem with that phone. You could lose it in your hand. How about we just skip to the hand? And it ain't just a theory, folks. It's already being put into play. We're seeing actual Mark of the Beast technology uh, being aired on commercials today, right? Which means what? Rapture's got to be getting close. Right? The mark of the beast technology happens when in the seven-year tribulation. We leave prior, so guess what? It's time for rapture practice again. We don't know the day nor the hour, but it's getting close. Now, the sad thing is, even though it's abundant, it's even on television, signs that we're living in the last days. What's the, what's the average scoffer do when you and I tell them about Jesus and their need to get saved before it's too late? They, they scoff. They mock at you and I. Like, ah, business as usual, same old, same old, same old. And they're flirting with disaster of being left behind, thrust into the seven-year tribulation. I didn't say it. Jesus said it. It's the worst time in the history of mankind, right? And so that's why we're going to continue our study. Are you ready for the rapture? Okay? And again, this is where I call a study where the rubber meets the road, right? You can get all kinds of things wrong in life, right? You could uh, wear Andy's chicken and waffle socks to actual church services in public, 
Right? You can get that wrong. But man, whatever you do, don't get eternity wrong. Don't not receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today and be left behind. This is not a game, right? Okay, and that's why we're gonna do that. And so far, we've seen five things about the rapture to help people get ready for it. Okay, uh, and that was the basis of the rapture, the importance of the rapture, the purpose of the rapture, and the reward of the rapture. And then the last three times, if you recall, is the timing of the rapture. And the scripture is clear. We don't know the exact day nor the hour. Now, why doesn't God tell us exactly when the rapture happens? Well, my theory is this. Well, he knows our sin nature, right? What would we do? If we knew exactly when the rapture would happen, we would goof off to the very last second and then 15 minutes later. We, hey, I guess I better clean up my act as a Christian. You know, I guess I better start looking like, no, all right? Or even for the lost person, right? If they knew exactly when the rapture would happen, what would they do? They'd goof off to the very last minute. Oh, I better get saved. We got uh, four minutes and 13 seconds to go, right? Okay, God wants a loving relationship with us. You need to make that choice now, right? So he doesn't tell us the exact day nor the hour, but he gives us signs it's getting close, okay? Uh, And he also, even though we don't know exactly when, we know it must, listen, it must happen before the seven-year tribulation begins, right? And that's the evidence we've been seeing through the unknown hour, the absence of the church, the location of the church, and last time, the direct promises from God that his bride will not step not one nanosecond in the seven-year tribulation. I didn't, he did. He was very blunt about it. We saw the first promise was in Revelation 3.10, where Jesus promises the church, the bride of Christ, you will be kept from that hour that was clearly talking about the seven-year tribulation, the time of global testing to test not the church, those who are still on the earth, right? The second promise that we saw in Romans chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1 Thessalonians 5, which by the way is right before and after the rapture passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, God says, listen, the church is what? saved from, not appointed from, and we are rescued from the wrath of God. So therefore, how can we be in the seven-year tribulation that is a full seven years of the wrath of God? We can't be there. It's a promise from God that Jesus Christ didn't just save us from hell. He saved us from hell on earth. He rescued us from the wrath of God, right? And again, that's why it just blows me away. It's like, why do people resist this? I'm just quoting scripture. This is good news. Jesus Christ is not a wife beater. He's not going to beat us up before he takes us to heaven. That's not our Lord and Savior, right? His wrath is for the unbelieving Gentile nations. You had your opportunity, but you said no, right? You reap what you sow, okay? But why do you keep trying to squeeze the church in a time frame that God says, my church, my bride isn't gonna be there, right? You need to be honest with the scripture. But uh, that's not all, Pastor Bobby. I'm still preaching on it again, so guess what? And there is. Thank you for that authoritative voice, right? You're so good. Uh, The fifth biblical evidence, the rapture takes place uh, before the seven-year tribulation. We see that in the, what? The removal of the church, okay? And the first evidence that we see scripturally of the removal of the church prior to the seven-year tribulation is with the example of the Thessalonica believers, okay? And we've been in this passage before, but this time I want to bring out something else that Paul says that has to take place before the Antichrist is revealed before the seven-year tribulation can begin, and that event is called the removal of the restrainer. So the question is, what is that, and when does that happen? And uh, as always, don't take my word for it. Let's go find out. Let's open up the Bible, and uh, let's discover what is going on there with this restrainer. Who is this restrainer, and why do they have to be out of the place before the Antichrist can appear and the seven-year tribulation begin. But this is in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 8 is the context here. Uh, but let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. Uh, it's uh, page 1880 in my Bible. If that helps get you there faster. 
I'm stalling time. That's right, you get there. But all right, so let's go ahead and read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Concerning the man of lawlessness, that's the Antichrist. Here's what Paul says. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to the church, the Thessalonica believers, and are being gathered to him. What's that? The rapture. He says this, we ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that what? That the day of the Lord has already come. What's the day of the Lord as we saw? That's the seven-year tribulation. The day of the Lord starts at the seven-year tribulation and moves forward. So in essence, Paul's saying, don't become unsettled by these false teachers, okay? We already went through this before in 1 Thessalonians. Now I'm having to write a 2 Thessalonians to correct this, but they're saying, in essence, Christians are in the seven-year tribulation, right? So what's Paul say about that? Don't let anyone what? Deceive you in any way. For that day, not the rapture, the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness or antichrist is what? Revealed. He's the man doomed to destruction. In fact, he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshiped so that he sets himself up into God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That's the abomination of desolation at the halfway point of the seven-year tribulation. And then Paul's kind of blown away, right? Because he already dealt with this before in 1 Thessalonians. But again, false teachers had come and said, you're in the seven-year tribulation, right? And they were freaking out. And that's why he says this. Don't you remember when I was with you? I used to tell you these things. And listen, here it is. Now you know what is holding him. Who's him? The Antichrist, the man of laws. Now you know who is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until what? He is taken out of the way. And then when that is taken out of the way, what happens? Then he says, when he is taken out of the way, right? He says, uh, the lawless one, right? The Antichrist will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. You may be seated there, okay? I love quoting this passage because believe it or not, uh, there's a lot of people out there that want to put the church in the seven-year tribulation. Actually, they actually quote this passage as a so-called proof text. And I'm going, how do you get that the church is in here? It doesn't make sense, right? At all, if you take a look at it. But what we see here, the context is what? This is 2 Thessalonians. How many guys can figure that out without any help? Praise God. Didn't even need a granola bar for that. That's amazing, right? Okay, but he, so that means he's having to write another one and he tells you why he, and he's blown away. He's like, I don't, I don't, I can't believe you guys are, what's going on? We already went over all this. And basically they were also freaking out. Why were they freaking out? What's the context say? False teachers have come in and says, you're in the seven year tribulation. Oh, the day of the Lord, right? So Paul has to write 2 Thessalonians, what? To comfort or reassure them that that's not true. Which is a side note, if the scripture really taught and the Thessalonica church really believed that Christians were gonna be in the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation, then wouldn't this news from these false teachers be great? Wouldn't they be excited? Yay, the rapture can finally happen because we're in the seven-year tribulation. They weren't excited, they were freaking out. Paul had to comfort them and reassure them, okay? Paul says it ain't gonna happen, there's no way Right, And we know that because, again, the day of the Lord is a time of God's wrath. And we saw last week, uh, last time, if you were here, and I just quoted again today, we are not appointed unto God's wrath, so how in the world can we be there? Right, And again, Paul says, don't listen to these guys. Okay, I can't believe we're going over this again, but I'll do it again. Then, if that wasn't clear enough, Paul gives you another element of truth that declares that the church will not be nowhere, anywhere in the seven-year tribulation. Not just because the day of the Lord is God's wrath and the scripture is clear that we are not appointed unto God's wrath, so we can't be there, right? 
But he gives you another clue. And he says, listen, that can't happen. The appearance of the Antichrist, the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation cannot happen until what? Until the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. And so that's the obvious question. Well, who is this one, right? We say the restraining influence. Who is this one holding all this back? Who is the one until that one is taken out of the way that the seven-year tribulation can begin, the Antichrist can make his appearance? Who is that one? Well, there's a lot of theories out there uh, and I'm gonna share them with you, right? And then I'm going to share with you what I believe the scripture very clearly if you do your homework and read the Bible, which I highly recommend, by the way. Uh, I don't think it's really that hard to understand who this is, okay? But you just gotta do your homework, right? Who is this one? But, but let's first look at it. Believe it or not, there are so many uh, that I cataloged, people out there, that, yeah, that's this, that's Watch this. Here's just some of them that's out there. Some say it's the restraining influence is the Roman Empire. That's who it is. I don't think so. Yeah, eh, eh, with a capital R, whatever. Uh, the Jewish state. They say, oh, it's the Jewish state is what's going on. There. No, 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 it's the Apostle Paul. That's the restraining influence. It's, what? Uh, it's preaching the gospel. Well, that's good, but I don't think that's the restraining influence. Uh, it's the human government. That's what it is. Human, human government? Human government's messing things up. What are you talking about? Uh, uh, Satan. That's what it is. Satan is the one who's restraining Satan. I don't think so, whatever. But anyway, that's a theory out there. Uh, Elijah, let's say that's who it is. Elijah's the restrainer. No, no, it's some unknown heavenly being. Yeah, you're just guessing right now. Here's me. All right, but anyway, some say, no, 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 it's Michael the archangel. He's the restraining influence. No, 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 it's the Holy Spirit. No, 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 it's the church, okay? And so let's take a look. Let's begin. And again, I think if you start doing the homework, you're gonna see that this restrainer uh, is, and who's holding all this back from the Antichrist, from appearing in the seven-year tribulation beginning, is none other than the Holy Spirit's presence in the church. Now, I'm being very deliberate about my words. I don't think it's just the church. I don't think it's just the Holy Spirit. I think it's the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today. Okay, and I'll explain that to you biblically. Now, let's take a look at the evidence. Let's identify the one. Who is the one? Who's this restraining influence that has to be gone before the seven-year tribulation can begin and the Antichrist can make his appearance? Well, let's take a look. First of all, the phrase there holds it back is the Greek phrase, the Greek word kateko, and it simply means this, to restrain, to hold back, to hinder the course or progress thereof, number one. Number two, it's preceded by the word now. It isn't just hold back. It's now holds it back. It's the Greek word arty, which means right now, at this very moment, right now at this time, okay? Three, the word one, as in the one who now holds it back, is actually in two different uh, genders. There's neuter and masculine. Not just neuter, not just masculine. It's specifically neuter and masculine. And fourth, the phrase there, taken out of the way, this is totally cool, is the Greek words, my meso, let's say that. Sounds like a salsa, doesn't it? With chips and ready to go. All right, but getting I, it's meso. Listen, this is what this means. I love this. This is what it means. Literally, it is taken out of the way. It literally means to arise from the midst. That sounds interesting. So, so let's stir it all together, right? Biblically, which is what we're supposed to do to, to come up with truth. It comes from the Bible, not our opinion, not social media, not somebody else. Stir it all together. What do you get? That means, according to the Bible, this one, this identity of the restrainer must, number one, be removable, Right? Number two, it has to be powerful enough to hold back or restrain, hence restrainer, restrain evil, including the appearance of the Antichrist right now, right? And to me, that leaves you with only one option, logically, biblically, and that's the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today, right? And and let me explain that. First of all, you and I are the salt and the light of this culture, 
right? We are to be the light in the midst of the darkness. You know the reason why the darkness continues to advance in our culture? It's not the culture, it's Christians refusing to share the light of God, right? Because if you go into a dark room, you flip on the light, where's the darkness go? Please, gone. That's our job. We're supposed to be out there not joining in the darkness, not promoting darkness, not hiding from the darkness, to be engaged in the culture, sharing the light of Christ to beat back the darkness. Because that's what light does, number one. Number two, we're salt, we're a preservative to preserve our uh, culture from going into total decay. Why is our our world going into total decay, moral decay? It's because we, the church, are either going along with it or we're keeping our mouths shut. And we need to speak up in love against and stop being a bunch of chicken livers, and we need to be that preservative, okay? So number one, what are we doing? As the church preaching, sharing God's truth, as the salt and light, what are we doing? We are what? What are we doing to our society? We are restraining evil. You you think things are bad now? Imagine when we are completely gone. It'll make this look like chump change, folks. But see, that's because, and, and the reason why it's getting worse even lately is because much of the church is full of apostasy and false teaching, and they're not doing what the church is supposed to do. But still, there's a lot of us still out there in love with Jesus, praise God, by his grace and mercy, and we're out there being that preserved. So, so again, we, we restrain. So that's, that's why I think this is the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today. We're restraining. But number two, it said specifically, it's not just restraining evil. It's what? It's restraining the appearance of who? The Antichrist. And that's what we are doing, believe it or not, at this time, as the Greek says, right now. Because think about it, right? If we were still here and the Antichrist makes his appearance, who would be the first ones calling this guy out on the carpet? Ah, there he is. <laughs> and we'd be blasting it all over YouTube and social media, every channel we get our hands. Antichrist, it's him. Here's the proof. Daniel 9, 27, he just made a covenant with Israel. It's him. It's him. In fact, I've been reading the Bible as a Christian, and I'm going to tell you in minute detail, step by step, what he's going to do for the next seven years. <laughs> We'd ruin it. <laughs> so our presence here is restraining evil, including the appearance of the Antichrist. That is who we are talking about here uh, in this passage here, that the church has to be gone before the Antichrist can make his appearance and the seven-year tribulation uh, begins. Okay? In fact, one guy puts it this way. He says, this present age in which we live in is described as the age of restraint. There is something or someone who is restraining or holding back the full blast of evil that is to come when the Antichrist is unleashed and unveiled. If this world we live in now is described as a time of restraint, what in the world will it be like when that restraint is removed? What will this world be like when all restraint against the Antichrist and his evil and wickedness is completely taken out of the way? Watch this. It will be like, listen, removing a dam from a lake and evil will overflood this world, swamping everything in its path. Or as Jesus said, it's the worst time in the history of mankind. So horrible that unless God shortened that time frame, i.e. kept it to just seven years, the entire human race would be destroyed. There's no restraint. Evil gone nuts, okay? Furthermore, the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today uh, is the only explanation biblically that explains the other thing going on there. Remember, it wasn't just the one. It was the one that was both what? Neuter and masculine, right? Read the Bible. The Bible, the Holy Spirit, Greek word pneuma, okay, is used in the neuter, and yet the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as what? He, masculine. So again, that lines up perfectly as well. 
uh, as well. And, and, and notice again, I'm not saying it's just the Holy Spirit, it's just the church. I'm saying it's the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today. Now, there's a couple reasons for that. Biblically, we need to be consistent, right? Last time I checked, the Holy Spirit is God. How many guys can figure that out without any help again? That's two times in one day, right? Imagine if we passed out granola bars, right? Uh, but anyway, uh, so he's God. Now, last time I checked, God is not just all-knowing, all-powerful. He's what? Omnipresent. He's everywhere present. So how could you say he's going to be removed from the earth when he's omnipresent? So it doesn't fit, right? So again, I'm not, it's not just semantics. You've got to be correct biblically. It's the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today. The Holy Spirit is God. He's omnipresent. He can't be uh, completely moved from uh, uh, anywhere. In fact, one guy, one theologian said, if there was even one maverick molecule in the universe, God would not be God. All right? So, so there's that. Now, number two, secondly, uh, as we've already saw uh, in previous studies, that uh, people are going to get saved in the seven-year tribulation, right? Unfortunately, they're what? They're going to get slaughtered like flies. Revelation 20 talks about the heads being decapitated. The point is you should have got saved today. You should get saved now. You could avoid the whole thing. But because people are still going to get saved, okay, then that means the Holy Spirit has to still be on the earth, okay, to convict people of sin, their need of salvation, right? So again, that's why I say it's, it's not just the Holy Spirit that gets removed, the restrainer. It's not just the church. It's the Holy Spirit's presence in the church that is the uh, restraining influence. One guy says this. He says, the one who now holds back, the total onslaught of Satan is the restraining influence of God, the Holy Spirit, who presently restrains evil through the church. The presence of God's spirit in all believers individually and corporately is the means that God uses to restrain evil at this time in this age. And, 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 and again, that restraining influence will be here only as long as the church is here. But the return of the Holy Spirit to heaven with the church will not be a complete withdrawal from the earth, but a return to the way he operated before the church began. Back then, in the Old Testament, the people were still able to find salvation, which obviously meant the Holy Spirit was still at work on the earth, right? Okay, so when the church is removed at the rapture, the Holy Spirit goes with the church insofar as the restraining power is concerned. But during the seven-year tribulation, the Holy Spirit will still be here on earth, of course, for how can you get rid of God, number one, and also he will simply revert back to his Old Testament ministry of coming upon certain people, not only in their need of salvation, but you certainly see that with the 144,000 Jewish male witness and the, the two witnesses, etc. Etc. Okay, so again, I, I wanted to be very dogmatic about it because, again, uh, we need to be consistent as Christians. It's not just the Holy Spirit. It's not just the church. The restraining influence that gets removed is the Holy Spirit's presence in the church today. Got it? Okay, so then that leaves one question. So we know, I think, confidently, biblically, right, uh, you don't need to pray and fast for 15 years, right? You don't need to read 100 books on this, right? Just read the scripture. You don't need to go to that prayer and fasting conference with meals included, right? Uh, it, it's very clear in the scripture, Four of you got that. It's very clear in the scripture, (laughs) right? Who the identity of the restrainer is, right? It's the Holy Spirit's presence. So that's the question then. When, when does that restraining influence leave in order for the Antichrist to appear in the seven-year tribulation begin? The day of the Lord, right? That's the question. We know who it is, but when? Well, again, contextually, biblically, I think it's pretty obvious. Right? Number one, we saw that we're talking about the day of the Lord or the seven-year tribulation. And it says it's a time of God's wrath, and the scripture's clear, even uh, First Thessalonians, uh, first and one, uh, one and five, that we were what? We're not appointing us that. So, but the context here in Second Thessalonians is the day of the Lord, the seven-year tribulation moving forward, so, and it's the day of wrath. So how can I be there? So number one, uh, that's a clue that it has to happen prior 
to that time frame, the seven-year tribulation. Number two, specifically, it says there that the restraining influence has to be removed prior to the appearance or the manifestation of the Antichrist. If only I knew when we could discover how the Antichrist is going to appear. If only I knew what was the event that's going to make his manifestation known, then we could know that we've got to leave prior to that. If only we could, well, you can if you just read the Bible. The Bible's very clear. What is it that starts the seven-year tribulation? What is the manifestation? What is the event that's, aha, that's him. He's manifested. Well, it's right here, Daniel 9, 27. The very event that starts the seven-year tribulation, right? And that's what we see here. Daniel says this, he will confirm the Antichrist, confirm a covenant or treaty with many, the context of the Jewish people, for what? For one seven. The reason why it's a seven-year tribulation, not a two-year, a five-year, 122-year, but a seven-year is what? It's the final week, seven, group of seven, of Daniel's 70th week prophecy. 69 have already come with Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, but there's been one week, one seven, still out there before God finishes the promises to the Jewish people. He's not done with them, right? But that's why it's a seven-year tribulation. But when does it begin? When is that final week? When does the seven-year tribulation start? The Antichrist what? He makes a treaty or covenant with the Jewish people. That's the event. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. On a wing of the temple, he'll set up in the abomination that causes desolation. That's when he goes up, as Paul says, says, worship me, I'm God, until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. So the Bible's very clear. When is the first manifestation? How do you know, without a shadow of a doubt, this is the guy. This is the Antichrist. When is he going to make his uh, manifestation? Well, it says right there, he's going to make a covenant with Israel. Bang! That's the very event that starts the seven-year tribulation. Can we all agree on that biblically? So therefore, logically, if that's when the Antichrist makes his manifestation, which is the beginning of the seven-year tribulation, then when does the restraining influence have to be gone? Before that, before the seven-year tribulation, you get it? Now, last time I checked, that just happens to fit the pre-trib scenario. This is not some form of escapism. I'm just reading Bible. The scripture is very consistent uh, with that truth. In fact, one guy uh, puts it this way. He says, listen, the church must be removed before the man of sin is revealed. The man of sin is revealed when he makes a treaty with Israel, Daniel 9.27, and this will mark the beginning of Daniel's 70th week. Therefore, the rapture, the removal of the restraining influence of the church must take place prior to that, the beginning of the seven years. In fact, for true born-again Christians trying to identify Antichrist today, it's a total waste of time because, listen, he will not be revealed until after the rapture, okay? Only after the rapture of the church, okay, will the identity of the Antichrist be revealed. In other words, like this, he says this, you don't want to know who he is. In fact, if you ever do figure out who he is, that means you've been left behind. Right? And that's why we say the phrase, it's not just a cute little Christian phrase. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Right? It's biblical. And, and by the way, which means, according to the scripture, not just because I'm guilty of escapism, according to the scripture, all the other positions that put the church in the seven-year tribulation, you're at odds with the scripture. Right? Because we're not supposed to be here when the Antichrist is here. I didn't say that God did. How could you put us in there when he's already made his manifestation known? which happens at the beginning. Do you see the, the problem? And again, I, I said, I, to use what the one prophecy teacher said, why do you want to be a tribulation wannabe? Why do you keep wanting to squeeze the church in a time frame that the scripture is very clear we're not to be a part of, right? It's not the blessed torment, it's the blessed hope, okay, uh, is what the scripture is. But let me give you a second one. The second evidence we see the removal of the church prior to the seven-year tribulation is with previous believers, 
Now, I don't know if you've been paying attention to the narrative of some folks that want to put the church in the seven-year tribulation, uh, but usually they'll come back at this idea of a pre-trib rapture. They'll scoff, and they make these false accusations. They say, well, this isn't consistent, right? It just doesn't seem right, right? How could God spare some people for a time of judgment? Who do you think you are, right? And, 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 and somehow they act like this is unfair. Well, first of all, I'll stand over here while the lightning bolt gets you. Because when you say that God is doing something unfair, you just attacked his holy, 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 righteous character. Which, can I translate that for you? You accuse God of sin. Yeah, that's a big deal. Okay, so, and last time I checked, he's God. Uh, he, he, he can do whatever he wants. As the scripture says, I think it's Romans 9, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Uh, shut your mouth. Uh, in fact, that, uh, I'm going take a little detour. You know, the psalmist says, be still and know that I'm God. We've dealt with this in our Wednesday night studies. You know literally what it is there in the context in the Hebrew? Shut your mouth. Shut your mouth. And the whole context is about God's sovereignty. Don't complain. Don't you whine. I just read in numbers this morning, my devotion with the Lord. Uh, you want to get on, 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 on God's uh, negative side? Whine and complain. Right? You want some meat? No, <laughs> I'll give you meat. He sent all the quail. Remember the quail? And what did he say? I'll give you meat. I've been giving you this stuff for free from heaven, man. You're going to whine and complain about that? You're going to whine about my provision? I'm going to give you meat, and you're going to eat so much meat, it's going to come out of your nostrils until you load it. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong here, but I just read that this morning. I don't think it's by chance. And part of the reason I don't think it's by chance is because notice what meat that they were judged by God with. Foul meat. God didn't send him a bunch of cows. No, no. Am I the only one that sees this in the scripture? Let's get back on track. Okay, that was your little... But but again, uh, we are not here uh, for this time frame. Uh, But they say, that's not right. How could God spare some people and then he allows other people? uh, We, the church, we we need to be there just like everybody else. And somehow that's unfair. Excuse me, whatever. Uh, And they say, well, this is is a new, this is an aberrant teaching. You know, we don't see this in the Bible. It's like, what Bible are you reading? If it's the one with the purple covers, the Barney version, get rid of it. You need to get a real Bible. Get a real Bible because when you actually read the Bible, you're going to see Old Testament, New Testament. God's done this so many times. This isn't, the, the seven-year tribulation is not going to be the first time he ever judged this planet or judge a population or judge a city or judge a country. He does it all the time. And you see all the time that guess what? Some people get spared, some people don't. At their own expense, by the way. They had an opportunity. They rejected it, just like today. But the first time that we see that consistent in the scripture is the sparing of Noah and Lot, right? Then think about that, right? In both accounts, you see Noah and Lot, that they and their immediate families not only got spared from the time of God's judgment, okay? But listen, the people who had an opportunity to join them because they had an opportunity to get rescued just like everybody else, but they rejected it. And guess what? They suffered their consequences, right? Uh, And again, that's the exact same thing we're preaching today, right? You need to get saved today through Jesus Christ. If you don't, then okay, have a nice day. No, there's a, a consequence. Judgment is coming, you'll be left behind and thrust into this next judgment called the seven-year tribulation that Jesus said is the worst time in the history of mankind. It's the same thing. There's nothing inconsistent about there. But let's take a look at that passage there. Remind ourselves that God does spare some people from his judgment. Nothing foreign going on here. Genesis 7, 7. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives entered the ark to what? 
Key word there, escape, right? The waters of the flood. And then, of course, the account of Lot, Genesis 19, 23 through 25 and 29. By the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus, he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot, what? Out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived, okay? And notice the consistent pattern here, folks. We see that Noah and his family first escaped the waters of the flood, then Lot, and Genesis 19 also mentions his daughters were the only ones that responded, and even then they kind of hesitated, which is wild. The angels had to literally grab them by the hands, okay? But Lot and his daughters were brought out of the time of uh, capacity. In fact, here's the other thing. Notice that in every single one, it wasn't just they got spared, In every single account, all of them were not just spared from the coming judgment. But listen, the judgments did not start until the people who responded to the rescue call were safe. Right? I mean, think about it right here. The flood of Noah did not happen until Noah and his family and the animals that God had spared for reasons were in the ark. It didn't start until they were in the ark. And who closed the door? Not one raindrop fell until when? until everybody was safely in the ark. Same thing with Lot. Exact same pattern that we see there, right? Lot, uh, uh, the fire did not come down from heaven and destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the area there until what? Until Lot and his daughters were what? Led into safety. How is that any different than what we're seeing in New Testament with the rapture? It's the same thing. The seven-year tribulation, the appearance of the Antichrist, it's not going to happen until what? Until those who responded to the rescue call of Jesus Christ get raptured, caught up, out of, into the safety of heaven. Bang! Then the judgment will come. Exactly like Noah, exactly like Lot. Total consistency. This is not some foreign concept of people trying to to, uh, escape from the harsh news that we're going to be. No! And I, I need to add this too, because there's actually some of those people who will take a look at the account of Noah or Lot, and they'll say, well, actually, those are examples of God preserving his people in the midst of that time of judgment. And they use that for proof as to why the church will be there. God, God will preserve them. Well, first of all, we saw there's no preserving for those who turn to God. They're going to be slaughtered like flies. But, but still, so you're saying that Noah and Lot were accounts of God preserving them in the time of judgment? That's not what I see. First of all, no one in his family were what? They were above the waters, not in the waters, glub-glubbing it like everybody else. How many guys can, three for three, come on. Yes, praise God, we're a family, right? Yeah, hello, right? And, and, and then notice that Noah was not trying to hold his breath. God was preserving his lungs while he was underneath that water, right? Uh, he was out of the water, he was above it all, Right? Uh, that's not a picture of uh, preserving in, it's escaping out, right? Read the scripture. Second, if God had really meant for Noah and his family to be preserved in that time of judgment, I think God would have instructed him to build a submarine, not a boat, right? Because you're going to be in it, but I'll preserve you. That's not what we see, right? Uh, God told Noah to build an ark so that they would float above, as the scripture says, what's the word there? Escape the flood, right? And then even with Lot, right? Lot and his daughters were led out of that place of judgment, not told to, listen, build a shelter in the midst of it, and God will preserve you. But whatever you do, don't build it like Pastor Billy builds stuff. My wife's over there if you want to talk to her after service, right? It looks cool, but whatever you do, don't let the wiener dog breathe on it. 
It'll fall over. It's just, it looks cool, but it's just not stable. I don't know why. I'm constructionally challenged for some reason. But anyway, uh, but, but no, no, no. Here's what you need to do, Lot. What you need to do is see, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, the surrounding town, but here's what I'm, I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to preserve you. And so you don't just need to build a shelter and don't do pastor building shelters. Build a really good, strong one. It, it, not just of, of just concrete, but you need to, because it's fire, man. It's going to be really uh, harsh. You need to have asbestos on the inside, then the outside. Don't worry about the copay afterwards with having asbestos, breathing that in. I'll take care of you supernaturally later. Okay, but you need to build this thing because it's going to... Is that what the scripture said? No. There's no preserving in the account of Lot, right? He wasn't told to build a shelter in the midst and God will preserve you. It didn't start, same thing with Noah, same thing with the rapture today. The judgment will not start until what? The people who responded to the rescue call from God out of grace and mercy are led in to safety. Then it can begin, right? There's, that's, there's no preserving. The only issue is, have you escaped? Have you taken the way of escape is the bigger issue. And then, of course, if you do, that's the good news. Then guess what? You can escape that judgment. Right? Let me give you real quick a couple other examples. You see this is a consistent pattern, Old and New Testament. God spares some. Those that respond, he spares them. Those that don't, you reap what you sow. Right? We see the Israelites escape from Egypt. Right? Uh, they go through the Red Sea there. Uh, as mentioned in the Old and New Testaments, Hebrews 11.29, by faith people passed through the Red Sea on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, did they turn to Jehovah God? No. So what happened? You reap what you sow. Uh, so they were drowned. You also see the deliverance of Rahab and Jericho, right? Mentioned also Old and New Testaments, Hebrews eleven thirty one. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the swives, was not what? She was not killed. She was spared with those who were disobedient. Okay, so total consistency uh, here in the scripture. One guy says this, listen, God wouldn't destroy the wicked in Noah's day until Noah and his family were all safely aboard the ark. Not one drop of rain fell until... Noah and his family were on the ark and God had shut the door. Afterwards, the rain fell and the wicked were utterly destroyed. The same was true of Lot and his family. No judgment could fall upon Sodom until Lot and his family were completely removed. Likewise, the church will be raptured away from the sin-cursed world before the seven-year tribulation. It can't happen until the church is led safely into heaven by Jesus. Total, complete consistency. This is not a foreign concept people guilty of just escapism. Let me give you one more obvious example that adds another cool nugget exactly like the rapture of the church. And that's this. The second time we see God sparing people from his judgment is with Enoch, right? And Enoch had something very special happen to him. Uh, so special that don't just skip over it. It's, it's a clue that God sometimes will get you to safety in a very unique way. You know, Noah had to do a boat, uh, Lot and his daughters had to be led by angels, but sometimes God chooses another method. Let's take a look at what God mentions there about the account of Enoch, Genesis 5, 21 through 24. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of who? Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years. He had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God, then he was no more. Why? Because God, who what? Took him away. Okay, now, first of all, if you look at all of the context of Genesis chapter 5, before and after the account of Enoch, you'll see that, listen, everybody there, save Noah, at the very end, died. Okay, but something special that God chose to see fit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to mention to you and I, 
Something special happened to this guy named Enoch. Now, I think it uh, starts to become clear when you start to dissect this. The words there, took him away, God took him away. It isn't just like, hey, let's go to the restaurant. The words there that's used there, this tells you what was so special. Why did God want to tell us out of all people he handpicked and added, because he mentions, do you ever read through the genealogies? Isn't that something that just really gets you inspired? So and so we got, so and so we got, so and so we got, so and your tip, no, don't blow through. Every jot, every tittle in God's word's good for you. And so don't blow through. He told us something special happened to this guy named Enoch. And what was special? He took him away. It's the Hebrew word, laka. Let's say that. Say that three times real fast. It sounds like a tropical bird, doesn't it? All right. Let's close in prayer. No, that's actually Hebrew. You guys are speaking Hebrew with correct pronunciation, by the way. Okay. And <laughs> that's probably the only... I was there, Pastor Billy, and he had us speaking like tropical birds. It was cool. It was like it was starting to sound like uh, Brad over here, the surfer dude. But, uh, <laughs> but Lakaw, listen, it isn't just God took him away. Listen to this. Here's what it means. Here's what was so special. Why did God mention this? It literally means this, to carry away to seize or to take out of. You know what the word harpazo, which is where we get, that was the Greek New Testament harpazo word, which was then translated into the Latin Vulgate, meaning vulgar, the meant common language of the day because it changed from Koine Greek to Latin. That's why it was, so they went from harpazo to reptura and then eventually got translated and the Protestant Reformation to English, and then we get rapture. We already dealt with this before. A lot of people say, the word's rapture not in the Bible. It's, I can't believe it. <laughs> it's, just, it's the English from the Latin from the Greek. It's the same thing, right? Did you know the, the, the word Bible's not in the Bible? I guess I can't believe in the Bible. <laughs> Did you know the word millennium is not in the Bible? It's not, right? But a thousand years is, and so we believe in it. But that's what the word millennium means. Hello. Did you know that the word Trinity is not found in the Bible? But the concept and the truth of Trinity is, so, so give me a break. But here's my point. Harpazo, rapture, rapture, it means a quick or snatching, catching away. That's exactly what's used here with your tropical bird sound, lacaw. Do you think it's by chance? So this is what's cool. Uh, uh, notice also the timing or the fetching of the removing, the seizing away of Enoch was what? Before the judgment happened right? The flood. And furthermore, what it makes his snatching or catching away so special, which is why I think God's mentioning it, okay, in great detail, uh, is it was a special transfer. He, didn't, he wasn't told to jump on the boat with Noah. Uh, he, he wasn't let out of the, the, the judgment by an angel. Watch this, Hebrews 11.5. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he, what? He did not experience death. He could not be found. Why? Because God had taken him away. Why? Because before he was taken, he was committed as one who pleased God, right? So Enoch wasn't just taken away. He wasn't just carried away. He wasn't just removed. He was removed, listen, specifically without experiencing death. Now, what does that sound like? That's the pre-trib rapture scenario. How's this? That's a foreign concept. You can't find that in the Bible. (laughs) It's the first time it's ever. No, it's all over the scripture. Read the Bible. But specifically, Enoch, same thing that you and I are waiting for. That if, as Paul says, if we're in that generation, when the rapture happens, we skip the whole death part. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of excited about that. Because the whole death thing, I'm not afraid of death. Praise God. I, absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. But as one guy said, and I've said it before, 
I don't know about you, but I'm going to try to make uh, that to be the last thing I ever do. The, the death thing, for those of you wondering. <laughs> right? But, but again, it's, it's, we, we skip it. We skip it. It instantly translate with new body. It's, it's awesome. But that's the same word that's used in here with Enoch. This is not a foreign concept. God's just going to do it again, except this time on a grander scale. Not one guy, but a bunch of folks. Total consistency in the scripture. In fact, if you read the scripture, which again, I highly recommend for some strange reason, God has transferred people a multitude of times in a supernatural way, right? Read the Bible. This is what we see here. Uh, Elijah went up in a whirlwind into heaven, visibly, right? Am I making this up? He's guilty of escapism. He just didn't want, no, that's what the Bible says. Supernaturally, God pulled him up into heaven, right? Second Kings chapter two, uh, Philip was raptured, suddenly removed from one place to another. Remember reading that in Acts? It's, it really happened, folks, right? Uh, Paul was raptured up to the third heaven, Second Corinthians chapter 12. And of course, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was taken up into heaven at his literal, visible, vo- bodily ascension, right? And the disciples are still looking up into heaven. The angels appear and say, what are you doing still looking? Because they're, they're like, wow, I saw him with my own eyes go. So this is nothing foreign. All right? It's not always build a boat. It's not always got to take you by the hand. Sometimes, repeatedly in the scripture, God will do a supernatural removal very quickly. He did it with Enoch. He did it with others. And guess what? He's going to do it again. Right? One guy, he puts it this way. He says, listen, Enoch was a man who never died. And what happened to him was very unusual. But the amazing thing is the Bible tells us what happened to Enoch is going to happen again, perhaps very soon. And this time it will not happen to just one man. It's going to happen to many people. There's going to be a whole group of people who will never see death. There will be a whole group of people who will suddenly be removed from earth and they will not be found by those who remain on the earth. And that unusual, incredible event is called the rapture of the church. So you can call it unfair all you want. I'll stand over here by the lightning bolt, get you with all due respect. But you can say it's inconsistent. It's erratic. It's just a newbie teaching. We don't see any evidence uh, in the, it's all over the scripture. God chooses to spare some who specifically respond to his grace and mercy. And those who reject it, reap what you sow. And that's the point, isn't it? You and I, it's not just getting excited about, you know, the fact that we're not going to the seven-year tribulation. It's, what are you doing with that news, right? Are you as a Christian ready for the rapture? I say this all the time, guys, but it dawned on me, I don't know how long ago, but it's like, whoa, that's a freaky thought. When, not if the rapture happens, the Lord Jesus Christ will find you Christian at that moment doing something. No New Year's resolutions. Don't give me none of that stuff. Uh, next month, I'm going to clean up my act. I'm going to get serious. I tell you what. <laughs> After this sermon, Pastor Billy's got me feeling guilty. I'm going to Based on the track record of your walk right now with Jesus Christ, What's he going to find you doing? Is anybody glad that we're not saved by our works? We'd all go burn straight in hell, myself included. But, but don't you love him? Paul says Christ's love compels us. I, I love him. I want to serve him. I want to seek him. I'm not doing it because you're a pastor. You're supposed to. No. I love him. I'm grateful for what he's done. I know where I should go. I know what I've done. I know what he saved me from. I know what kind of person I used to be. I love him. And if the rapture were to happen today, it could. I want him to find me faithful, seeking him, sharing him, being a better disciple, growing in the knowledge of his word, 
sharing him with as many as I can. Why? Because that's the only reason why we're still here. We're on a giant rescue mission. God is not willing that any should perish. Did you know he wants other people besides us being saved? What a concept. We need to get out there. So how's he going to find you? Are you ready for the rapture as a Christian? But I don't know your heart. Pastor Bill, I've been coming to this church for 900 years. Yep, before this building even existed, I, I was still here. I was here. I was sitting here in the dirt praying. That's why I've been here longer than anybody else. I don't care how long you've been coming. But I got to, my, my dad's a deacon. He, he's been deacon for a long time. Right? I had an uncle who was an elder. Man, nobody could eld like him. Right? I try to be a good person. I, I try not to kick my dog too much, you know, and, and be nice. I pay my, I'm a good American. None of that saves you. Has there ever come a point in time that you've truly from the heart called upon the name of Jesus Christ, asked him to forgive you of all your sins, trust in his work and his work alone to get you to heaven? Have you ever done that? If you haven't, you're not saved. You're not saved. And I warn you like Noah did to his generation. I warn you like the angels warned Lot's community. You can mock, you can scoff, you can walk away and act like business as usual. I got stuff to do today. I'm telling you, there's an event that's coming and you don't want to be a part of. But the good news is, if you would take Jesus by the hand and receive him as your savior, he'll take you, he'll rescue you and spare you from that time of judgment. If you haven't done that, you need to do it today. This is not a game. The Bible doesn't say, but I often wonder, when God closed that door on Noah's ark, the people who must have mocked and scoffed Noah, oh, how instantly their mind changed when that first raindrop hit their head. Here's what I often wonder. I wonder. I wonder if they ran to that boat and they were beating on that boat. Noah, Noah, let us in. Let us in. We made it. Don't make that mistake. Don't end up like these people. We'll close in prayer after this. scoff the way out's right there
through the cross of Christ. Don't be left behind. Just like Noah's day, just like the people of Lot's community, you don't have to go into the judgment. But God will honor your decision. I beg you, please turn to Jesus before it's too late. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, the, the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying. Okay. How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy 
through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us, that disqualified us for heaven, right? And we've actually seen this work in real life. Uh, For instance, uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court, the gavel's been passed, the judges said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty, Uh, you even admit you're guilty, and uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave, and the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly, and please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.